It's time for To The Last Drop Podcast with Liam Delcom and Brandon Nell. Yeah, we're back. And uh, Liam and I are sitting in the atrium at Multi-Choice. World Cup squad's now being named. We all know it's going to France. It's, Liam, it's not as nice as Shea Restaurant in, uh, in Joburg. <laughs> I think, geez, I'm still thinking back to that great steak we had after, after recording last week's pod. But... Uh, yeah, I suppose this has to do. Mm. Nothing as juicy here, I'm afraid. Uh, far more Spartan, I think. Uh, but yeah, there was nonetheless a lot of excitement, a lot of noise, a cacophony earlier um, as the players were unveiled, especially when Makazola Mapimpi uh, was named in the 33-man squad. Uh, there were a couple of others also that drew wild applause and celebration. Yeah, and I think sometimes we miss that because, I mean, mm. we're so focused on dealing with the team and dealing on the issues around the team that we maybe don't see it from a fan's point of view. And that was enlightening to me to see how people reacted, mm. especially to Makazole. The Kanyo Am was, came on the screen and they, and they uh, reacted to him, which is quite surprising because, as we found out later, there was three big shocks in that team and the Kanye Am being one, the Andre Pollard also being another, and Luat de Jager, all three of them out of the World Cup. Yeah, uh, there was uh, were three chairs left because the players kept filling uh, chairs in the front row, um, and the more experienced players obviously get seated there. And there was a gentleman to my right who, when there were three chairs left, was shouting, Lucanio Am, and I thought, oh dear, he's going to be in for a, for a bit of a disappointment. Uh, and so it proved. So, yeah, um, look, it's three significant absentees, I think. Uh, given the experience, given what they bring to the box squad. Um, in the case of, of Lucanio, certainly the box will be without a player that is uh, can be wildly creative as well. I mean, we've seen the man. And of course, a lot of angst about Andre Pollard uh, not being a part of the World Cup squad uh, at this moment. Yeah, um, I just I want to actually go way further. I want to actually almost say that Lucanio Am and, and, and Andre Pollard are probably once in a generation type players, and any any squad that loses that sort of um, experience is going to be hampered. And I, and I think in one respect it made the selection a bit easier of some mm. of the the key positions that we were all wondering about in the last week. Uh, but yeah, and then we got to the press conference, and as Liam says, um, right now, and Jacques Ninaba had a very strange answer. Um, you know, when I, when I I asked him the question about um, you know, Andre and them not being there and he, and he went on about how they'll be joining the squad this week and they'll be training with them this week and I sort of interjected and I said but Jock this is the World Cup squad they can't go anymore and then he sort of stopped and he said yes no you're right they can't but if there's an injury yeah, and you know, but the way he was talking it was very much like Jeez, they're going to he's, join them. He's in full anticipation almost of, of uh, certainly at least Pollard uh, joining the frame. I don't know uh, how and when, but um, he, he seemed quite bullish that that will yeah. be the, the case. So, Well, if, if there is an injury, um, and I'm not saying this in inverted commas, um, it would be rather funny, but um, I can't think anybody in their right minds would do that to any player who wants to go to the World Cup. But I think also uh, if we look at the way the Bok coaches and selectors have gone about their business the last couple of years, uh, there's obviously been an emphasis on experience and it's in moments like this where it, where it kind of matters where there are people you can draw in who've been part of the squad who also come with uh, with a lot of experience I mean this team is is vastly experienced if you if you if you go through the squad there's still enough there 
uh, to give you confidence that they can go and defend mm. the title. And I think I think to add to that, there's enough the excitement for young up and coming players, mm. the Grant Williams, Kurt the Orenses, Kanan Moody's of this world. You know, there's enough X factor youngsters coming through mm. that can really turn turn the Test match, and they're going to need all of that going because this is the toughest World Cup that of of them all. Mm. Um, we say that every single time, but this yeah. is really a pool of death. I'm going to go slightly against the grain there. As much as we are enthused about some of the young guys, I'm also quite excited about Dion Furi getting a shot, uh, going as a utility forward, uh, can cover flank and obviously hooker. Um, big World Cup for him. Um, you know, he's, he's been a fantastic servant for, for, the, for the Stormers. And he is, um, if you think of how regularly the other guys get starts and he's been kind of a fringe player with the Springboks, uh, for him to sort of get the crack or get the nod, you know, sort of uh, on the eve of World Cup, but I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, no, and, and yeah, I mean, look, he's going to cover Hooker as well, mm. and he's the one player I think uh, you you need some of those sort of almost mm. I want to say cultish type players, but he's the type of player that is a sort of cultish player, and he's, he's a player that can really we saw with Skulk Brits that adds that little bit extra when it yeah. comes to to to. You, you, you don't expect him to play all the time, but you expect him to play in moments that matter, and I think he's he's one of those guys who in the big moments can stand up and, and do something that other players perhaps can't so you know that's the bit that excites me about it well I think, I think we saw that against Argentina when the second half while they were struggling in the first half when it really started to matter he got a couple of very big turnovers there as well yeah and there's insurance uh, you know but if you look at uh, the flanker position for instance you've got uh, Dion Fury, you've got Marco van Staden uh, you've got Sia Kulisi coming back from injury so you know if there is uh, any doubt about his fitness that if he were to have a, a, a bit of a mischief do himself a bit of a mischief uh, before during the World Cup you know there's, there's sufficient cover now well yeah I think the one uh, Mark you mentioned Mark of that's a player that I'm very happy for um, probably one of the most unsung heroes the guy mm. just gets down and gr- grafts the interesting other thing, sorry, just getting back to the squad, the interesting thing that Jock Nina always said to me was they went with a squad of guys who could all play on Saturday, and that includes Oxenche and Sia Kulisi, which surprised me because, you know, we always thought, well, Sia might be back on against Wales, maybe against New Zealand, He's a bit of a, but they're very uh, confident yeah, yeah. he's going to play. If they have a match on Saturday, he'd be able to play. Yeah, in fact, I then asked him the question, just to be clear, you know, if when, if is Sia going to be available for the Wales game and he just answered with a yip so um, yeah so it, it'll be it'll come as huge relief to many South Africans that uh, the captain uh, is fit and uh, and able hopefully next week against Wales yeah interestingly a couple of interviews we did afterwards with players I mean I don't know if you got the same sense I asked them you know if one of the questions I asked them just a ge- very general question of is there uh, almost a sense of relief now you feel the pressure's a bit off your shoulders now and, and all of them sort of in unison it was almost like they were yeah. coached said no now the pressure's really on us because now we've got to go out and perform and it's nice to see they know what their responsibility is they know mm. what needs to be done and, and now they've got to go out and do it yeah I, I, I spoke to Dion Fury uh, uh, for a few minutes and uh, you could even at his sort of advanced age for a rugby player you could see the excitement in his eyes uh, I later spoke to Kanan Moody and and you've got the same vibe from him. Yeah. So, you know, he's what, the youngest player in the squad. So um, that was fantastic to see and quite refreshing. I think we should get Dion on for, his nickname's Branas, of course. Um, <laughs> I think we should get him on for a Branas or two and let him tell us a couple of secrets of his career. And then be careful about which brand we uh, mention. <laughs>
Uh, very true, very true. Well, um, I think we've probably yeah. got enough here. Now. Um, yeah, that's it for us uh, covering the World Cup squad announcement. Uh, the rest of this pod, you're going to get the uh, section two or part two of our wonderful interview with David O'Sullivan and Rossi Erasmus. You heard part one last week. Part two's got some even more juicier bits. Uh, yeah, so listen in and enjoy it. Yeah, and congratulations to the pair because their book uh, is number one, the biggest seller in the country last week. So well done, both of you. You're with Brendan Nell and Liam Delcom on the To The Last Drop podcast. You, you tell it, in the book, there's a story about, I think your father told the story about crabs in the bucket. Yeah. And it's, it's an old Afrikaans fable about how they, we, South Africans keep on putting each other down. Yeah. Do you see that changing at all in, in rugby terms at least? Um, or do you think we still got a long way to go there? Uh, yeah, I think the moment we start understanding, and, and listen, obviously because there's money in the game. Remember when we all played rugby just because there was like a dance afterwards and we had to be at the, mm-hmm. at the after match function and the guys, even you, you, we got into a train when we played the Blue Bulls sometimes with the um, President's team or the the Free State B team, you know, you're just happy to socialise and we go and watch a club game. I think the moment money got into the game, you know, uh, everybody wanted a piece of it. Uh, unfortunately, in South Africa, it's a harsh thing to say, but there's only 15, you know, let's say really well-paid jobs. And there's only three national teams, you know, uh, uh, obviously I'm not counting the seven star, but the women's, the junior box and the spring box. Now, uh, if you think about it, that the junior box only play five games a year. Season. We've got the, mm-hmm. the rugby championship for the junior box also going now. But um, a lot of people think, but where's this pathway? Where's this pathway? But there's only a pathway. We don't control the franchises who they appoint. And so those franchise uh, uh, owners and people appoint who they want to there. And then at our level, we appoint three coaches and then obviously on the women's side. And, and the sevens always has to come within. So... Um, that's why I think people are pulling each other sometimes down to get to the top, where they're not pushing each other to get to the top. And, and I understand that. But it's, it's, uh, it's a very few jobs available. It's like telling a player in South Africa, you're going to become a springbok. Yeah. But there's only been 900 or 910 in the history of rugby. Mm-hmm. But you've got the potential and you work your way up and at least there's a pathway. I think the moment there's money involved and but how do I get to that top? Uh, it becomes a very difficult question and, and don't want to go deep into that because you guys said I mustn't answer long. But I, I think that's where the problem is. I, I, speaking of which, I bet you created an image in my head now. Uh, the only way that cheetahs can uh, travel by rail and maybe get to Pretoria for a game, a game against the Bulls is if they took the blue train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did take the, the train in those days. I'm no, not sure. You do the train lines still exist? Uh, uh, yeah. I, I do want to, uh, and, and maybe put a bit of light in, and maybe you can just tell the story from the book about um, your negotiation with Dr. Late, because I, 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 I laughed at that one. I thought pretty good negotiating skills that, that day. Well, we can we talk? Most people read that in the book. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I'll preface it. Um, so, Rossi and a, a bunch of guys, uh, Smiley Swanapool um, and Vili uh, Brits went. Vili uh, Mayer. It was Vili yeah. Mayer. Uh, Free State guys, they were 
wanting to spread their wings and they and they were uh, playing golf at the Wanderers and word got to Louis late that these Free State boys were in town and he sent a limo round to, I, I felt almost hijack, kidnap Rassi uh, and took him to Louis Late's office because there was somebody who came and said, are you Rassi Rasmus? There's a limousine waiting. Was so, it fully a limo, but, but there was a car like a Bentley gun. And, and a, and a boost champagne and boost and and stuff in the back. Yeah, so he was drinking champagne in the back and then was found himself in Louis Late's office and Louis Late was saying, don't you want to come and play for us up here um, and how much do you want and in the words of Don Corleone in The Godfather made him an offer he couldn't refuse but I'll let Rusty take you through the, the negotiation because it was hilarious No, look I was happy with Bloemfontein man we actually uh, uh, said we were on a golf trip here raising funds for the free state couple of, we actually there's a few buddies playing golf here and and uh, when I got the call, um, I think I was still working for Minolta. When I got the call, I thought, because well, I was one of the few guys that had a cell phone, and I thought, okay, but uh, somebody joking. And Leon Schuster was heavy in with us. He had the Cheetah song and everything. And I thought the boys was in on this. And I, when I got there, this guy said, are you Rassi? I said, yes, and he got him to the car. She's one drink, and why not? And I take and we drive to this house. Champagne? Yeah, mm-hmm. with this big, with big uh, walls around. He just actually his own, not at the office. Saxon Wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's where he stayed, yeah. Saxon Wall? Yeah. Yeah. We've we we got a mistake in the book, because I'm sure we, we locate this at the office. <laughs> okay, anyway. No, but his office at his house. Office, yeah. Yeah. The office at his house. Yeah. We meant that. Yeah. We, we meant that. that. His house. Uh, and, we, and, we, and we got in there, and uh, there was, uh, I, I don't know if he's an auditor, there wasn't Johan Prinsler. Yeah, of course, Johan was there. But, and the guy, he said to me, do you have a mandate to be here? <laughs> I said, I don't know what the mandate means. <laughs> and I said, no, no, no. Um, he said, but you're coming to Transvaal next year. I said, yeah. Because Bruma has, Bruma has one spur, two golf courses, and for the way we're going to build a 10-pin building. <laughs> I'm happy there. And I just... I'm going to name the amounts now, but I thought, no, I'm just blaming. She said, how much do you want? And I just, what is more than triple, quadruple. Quadruple. I quadrupled, but I, and then she said, you got it. I said, I'm going to get out of this now. And I said, no, but we need uh, a scrum off. Yeah, and then followed smiling. She's smiling now, come, come, come to the light. No, no, you're crazy, you can't. Oh, no, he first made me phone my wife and said, uh, so I said, listen, I'm going to the lights, uh, transform. She said, no, you guys are drinking. I said, no, I'm serious, I'm going to talk back. She said, um, and, he, and she said, no, she just had a new nursing job at the new hospital. He says, tell her how much you're earning. And I said, oh, he's going to offer us that. She said, no, no, we can move. <laughs> and then, yeah, we got smiling. Uh, I asked Smiley, how much do you want? And Smiley said over the phone, minute uh, amount. And I, I got him the same amount as me. Doxy, how much do you want? I said, no, so much. And Doxy's got it. Yeah, and then eventually we were five, six guys that moved to the Transvaal. Uh, none of us wanted to leave, but it was really just um, um, yeah, amazing offers. And that's how we moved there. Before, I think the only one wants to ask about Laurie Mains, but before we ask Actually, that, I did it. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, I thought you did it. Done with Laurie. Sorry, I just am worried. I, I listened to this podcast. It's called To the Last Drop. Yeah. And 
wine always features, and you haven't mentioned the wine yet. And I'm, we I'm sorry. I'm, I'm worried that this podcast is going to end, and people are, <laughs> are going to miss out on on the wine. Do you want to describe what we're drinking? Uh, yeah, we, we raided uh, David's uh, wine cellar, and, and he said you could take anything, but we thought we'll be uh, we'll be. Uh, um, Modest, do you think? Is yes, we went middle of the road in our selection. So we had a very, we got a very nice 2020 Canonco Cadet. Uh, Shots right. Which is a really nice wine. Oh, is it? Okay. Because yeah. as I said to you, my knowledge of wine is uh, non-existent. My wife's a wine fan. If I could just use the line from the uh, the great um, Clive James, who said, I, I appreciate a wine that merely stains my teeth without stripping the enamel. Wow. That's <laughs> my knowledge of Good thing you left the Chateau Lafitte in the community. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't heard anyone complain about it. That's very nice. Exactly. So, um, the question I wanted to ask was, a year or two later, I think a couple of years later, that a bunch of your teammates at the Cheetahs went to the Bulls for a very disastrous Super Rugby season. Yeah, us and... And, Malka, and, 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 and you were supposed to go, I, because I remember I reporting best, yeah. and you turned it down. Uh, did you see something that they didn't? Or? I, I can't remember if it was supposed me being at the Lions already or was it when you always started the free state. I can't, can't remember exactly. But I just know the flankers that was at, at the Bulls. Mm. I just thought, yeah, this Ruben and those boys still there, I think. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I think yeah, Ruben, I think everybody was still there. Yeah, Ruben, I think Skitter was in the mix. And uh, what's that flank... Uh, he was this hard guy. Um, can't remember his name now. No, no, um, no. Yeah, and I think I had my first year of being staying in Gauteng, uh, and I had to get back home. I think so. Yeah, yeah. The only main thing I would like to touch on, because uh, I think if you go through the book again, uh, um, I'm not to sound uh, I'd be called humble or anything like that. Uh, the the I, I, there's nothing in the book where I'm trying to take out somebody or, or, or point fingers at somebody. It, it's really just to say what, what I took from that and what I tried to implement or what I never wanted to happen to me as a player. So um, even the part on the Lord in Mainz, you know, uh, I, actually, I actually understand, and I think we explained it like that in the book, the, his thought process. Now, because if you didn't grow up mm. in South Africa, and it's almost like for me, uh, uh, when people say they can be a water carrier and they make it, uh, all of a sudden they can be four, and you're thinking there's no crouch here, this this COVID, but, and Jock is in the coach's box and I can now stand next to the field. And, you know, everybody bring messages onto the field. Mm. And the year the law says there can be an extra guy in the, in the technical zone. Why not use the law? And because uh, you're doing nothing against the, the laws of the game, mm. uh, and, and and that's why, even against what people think, you want TV time or you want to have the spotlight or whatever. No, you can actually stand next to the field, and there's no crowds, and you can talk to the guys on the mm. field. So, and I almost saw the Lori Mains thing the same because you know you didn't grow up here and know about all the different things. I don't think he's a bad person or. And I don't think we portray him as a as a, as, as a bad person in the book. It's it's just listen, I read in all. There's this rule that's sort of brought in now, and you know I'm going to work around it to 
because he thought Dean was maybe better than Conrad Yank is. You say workaround, I, I'd use the word, uh, because I had to report on a couple of those stories, uh, I'd, I'd use the word manipulate, but I get your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was important as well that that incident, so it's where Conrad Yankees was told by Laurie Manji in the team mm. that you're going to play for seven minutes, then you're going to fake an injury, and Dean Hall's coming mm. on. But Russi, the way it had an impact on Russi was that he could see in Conrad Yankees' face, Conrad Yankees' face, how devastating this was for him. And he's the captain, and he's got a motivator guy who's now absolutely devastated. He's got this prodigious talent, as you all know, and yet he's only going to play seven minutes because he's not a white guy, and he's, he's there because of the manipulation of the quotas. That had such an impact on Rossi that going forward, the, the comment Rossi made a little earlier about transformation isn't white out, black in, because that would all have that devastating effect on somebody that he never wanted to see ever again. And so there's got to be a, a better way of doing it. Yeah. And EPD was one of the solutions. And the flip side is... Dean's, Dean Hall, Dean Hall, I'm friends with him the other day, Dean Hall was a machine, I mean, but also for Dean Hall, and it's not because I was particularly particularly sharp, or, 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 but you were the captain, so I think anybody else who was the captain who had to talk to a team and say, listen, are you up for this game, are you ready? Oh, I'm gonna play seven minutes, and the other guy. Oh, are you gonna? Well, I'm coming on when that guy's going off of the seven minutes. It's kind of a logic thing that happens to a captain. You see, uh, it's just a slap in the face for the guy that's taken off, or for the guy that's been brought on, because none of them feel this. The, are you with me? Yeah, I think it's serious. Uh, somebody's somebody's phone vibrating. Yeah, there we are. I, I, I want to jump, uh, obviously, your, your favourite topic that you love talking about. I'm going to jump in straight there. You can know where I'm going now. And I'm not going to go into specifics because um, I think people should read the book to know exactly what, what happened behind the scenes with the referee in the Lions tour um, and, and the whole situation that got you, you got a ban for that. But in the can I just say, Brendan, yeah. done with frank honesty, more honest than I thought. No, I, I, I agree, I agree. Yeah, no, I'm just saying for anybody who thinks possibly you're going to get a, a sort of a, a glossed version or, a, you know, a, a sparkly version of what happened. No, you won't. You get warts and all about that whole incident. And, and, and also, want to, I mean, I don't want you to talk yourself out of a job or to another band, <laughs> yeah, of course, but um, do you feel that there are still double standards in world rugby on these issues, and how do you feel you, with your relationship with referees now? No, like like everything else, and and uh, I've in the book as well. Uh, you know, I, I like to bring it back to embarrassment, and and sometimes, not sometimes, lots of times myself, like any other person, make mistakes. Uh, if me and you are disagreeing on something, and you tell me, listen, I was wrong, uh, then I'm not going to rub it in and tell them, you, you were wrong, you were wrong, because then I'm embarrassing you, you've mm-hmm. already. And I think, uh, you know, where one maybe overstepped the line is that when referees make mistakes, it's normal. When players make mistakes, it's normal. When coaches make mistakes, it's normal. And I, and, and I think working or phoning Nigel Owens, trying to get somebody to work with us, was obviously... We got to a stage where we were a bit frustrated that we, you know, are we seeing things differently? Yeah, of course. But then it got to a stage where 
people felt, and I felt sometimes, uh, assuming or just making their own perception that I'm already embarrassing this person. And, and sometimes it was just frustrating to getting an answer back. But then in hindsight you think, being the person on that side, you probably were embarrassed. And, and, and you never get something good out of embarrassing somebody, you know. So that's definitely something that this year, uh, we, and since the end of last year, that with Nigel and Jakub Paper has worked a lot with us now, is that you're going to get nowhere embarrassing referees. But, you know, also I felt prior to that, the communication just wasn't sufficient not to to know what's going on. And I must say, having a meeting with Gilplin and uh, Davis, Phil Davis, end of last year, and they bring out that statement, I felt, okay, uh, you guys get us now. I think we get you guys now. And I don't think we've put a foot wrong since. And, and whatever I also say in the book is, in my opinion, totally the truth, but I do understand that there was a stage where somebody would felt embarrassed. But that was also me at one stage. Hmm. Uh, and I think uh, the book just gives a perspective from not just the one side. And the other side was published by the, the disciplinary committee, which they found. So there's nothing that we yeah. reveal that's, hmm. you know... Yeah. On that score, uh, okay, you direct your rugby, but in terms of communication and communication not being the way it should be, Shouldn't the communication uh, from your office maybe be, uh, let's put it this way, uh, a little bit more, not forceful, but shouldn't there be better communication between your office, and I'm not talking about you specifically, but you have a referees department with the people at World Rugby, or whether it's whether it's World Rugby or whether it's the EPCR. Um, do you feel there's a shortfall there? No, I think that's why I think go and read the book what had happened up until then, and and uh, how the communication has been, and was there ever prior issues prior to that? And 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 again, you know, um, it is uh, when the Lions series started. What was the communication protocols? Uh, how did it work in the past? Uh, uh, at a World Cup, it's easy. It's awesome. There's a World Cup committee, a referees committee. You send clips into them, but that's at World Cups. Uh, um, uh, in the old days, when we used to play Super 10 and Super 12, the captains and all the referees flew into Sydney. Mm. And you had a week's workshop on how you're going to referee this Super 10 or Super 12 or Super 14. Uh, you know, now you were getting, and I'm not pointing fingers, I'm saying that's maybe financial restrictions, it's maybe uh, because we're all doing something virtual, but we actually had a live series mm. without having any debriefing of how the series is going to work. On that score, maybe you want to tell our listeners how the fact that World Cup, how things happened in a more snappy way, how that actually helped you um, given what happened in the opening game against the All Blacks. And, of course, Jerome Garces was involved in that game. I don't know to what degree you can you can talk about that, but how that helped you further down the line. No, I just think World Cup communications is... is and I think World Rugby now, I must give Joel Jutes and Full Davies, and uh, we've got... The, every time now there's a communication protocol that gets uh, circulated, 
how, how much clips you can send in, when you can send in, when you can get feedback, when you can contact the referee, how you can contact that. that we know it now before every tournament. But unfortunately, when uh, you know the disagreement between us and them, there, there was grey areas there. There wasn't a protocol written into a participation agreement or anything. So uh, at World Cups, it's always been nice and clear, and I wouldn't like to go into detail there because it's open channels and the dealers also listen here when they get back to you you don't put what they get back to you out into the newspapers which i think it's fair is there an extra chapter that still needs to be written in this book oh yeah well, the, the, the victory throwing, throwing the fishing yeah. line out I, 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 Brendan, good good question yeah. but and i've asked rusty this many times <laughs> are we going to win this world cup every time he gives me a look as if I'm stupid. <laughs> and he goes, of course we will, John. Of course we will. So when people say to you, this is the most open World Cup um, and, you know, the field is wide open, uh, what is your immediate thought? I mean, do you think that's complete nonsense or do you think that, or do you, are you so focused on what you have to do to get your team ready Nothing. that whatever happens out there doesn't actually matter? No, it, it is the, uh, but it's not a cliche. It's not just something people say. It is... We know we went cold into the Irish Test match because we have foreign-based players and we play in the Northern Hemisphere, some of our clubs uh, are players for clubs. And when we went into the Ireland Test match, some guys were playing Curry Cup still, but then some were playing URC. But uh, the Japanese players, I think 12 of our players hasn't played for six weeks. Mm. And that was uh, uh, the Irish Test match. And we got warmer as the Test match went on. Mm. But we thought we could beat Ireland uh, on neutral ground. Everybody, that's why we are juggling so much the match fitness and the load of players. Then the second match against France, in France, uh, with getting a red card, uh, I think that that game was like you. You, were, I remember speaking to you before the Ireland game, and you were very confident about the France game. Yeah, and, and, and look, we lost, but I think all the players came off that field knowing uh, if yeah. we get them in the quarter final, it will be a very close game. We won't say beat them definitely, but it will be a very close game. New Zealand, yeah, they gave us a hiding the other day. But, you know, last year we gave them a hiding in Bombella and then they beat us the next weekend at Alice Park again. We play them at tweaking them again and that will probably give some momentum going into the World Cup. But that's just Scotland lost to Argentina, I think. But Scotland also bleed, uh, 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 they, they beat somebody crazy. I think they're fourth or fifth in the world now. So in, and Ireland's number one. So I think the facts tells you it's just... You just can't pick a favourite right now. I was going to ask you, I mean, I, I, I wasn't on that tour last year, but I mean, sitting here in South Africa, we all make the mistakes. We, we watch Six Nations, we watch France and Ireland beat New Zealand, and we see how good they are, the momentum, and you get swept along with a bit of momentum. A lot of fans do as well. How much did that mean to you guys to play, that even though you lost both test matches? Because sometimes a team gets almost built up as the superhumans, but you haven't played them yet, and you guys hadn't played them for a long time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The thing is that difficult to judge with us. Uh, like when we go into rugby championships, those guys have played six nations, mm. and we haven't played since last year November's tour. So the world rank is, is a bit skewed. Then we go into rugby championships. Then New Zealand. Uh, as per, they had two teams in the final, which was two weeks before the rugby championship. Uh, you know, Argentina, and I think that's why they were also so, but 
of the game, that first one. They, the players play all over the world. They don't play in the Sanzar competition, the rugby champ, the super rugby, uh, uh, Pacifica or whatever. And, uh, uh, they also have to get their teams. Uh, they got different players they have to align. Australia is just a different kettle of fish because, uh, Eddie is in new, you know, he has to get the rhythm there. But, uh, we, we uh, rugby champions' first two games, and with only being three games this year, it's pretty tough for us because we had a seven-week preseason mm-hmm. where you can't even organise a, a warm-up game because there's resting periods and players insurance, and when you get a player from a premiership, you know you must have four weeks off, and uh, there's a lot of admin that has to be done. But that's why, hopefully. Argentina, Argentina away, Wales, New Zealand. Hopefully when we when we Scotland, we nice and uh, match ready. Uh, I'll just take uh, people who are listening to this, and I'm sure it comes through a lot in the book as well. Give us an insight on what's a match day to you, and I want to throw sort of part B to that. And what was a match day to you when you had to serve that band? How difficult was that to you? Obviously knowing how passionate you are about rugby as well. Yeah, a, a match day means you can't be banned, you can't be the match day with the team. So, you know, you stay in the hotel room. Uh, um, can you have breakfast with them? You can have breakfast with them, but you can't, you can't, you know, you can't go to Nothing team, official, team yeah. talk. Yeah. And, and I mean, the world rugby is, uh, I, I must say, the relationship between us and world rugby has really been good uh, uh, in the sense that it, it's not petty things that they are, are, are being specific to us or uh, I think that the respect is starting to being restored mm. and again maybe because we realise that listen here the communication protocols are now in place we, we don't have to uh, uh, point fingers or ask questions all the time. You know, let's accept that if they make mistakes, they're going to make it both sides, and there is a communication protocol. But no, uh, I, I think match the match the ban is is probably the thing that hit me the hardest because you can train the whole week with the guys, and then you know they go to bed on Friday evening, and then you see them Saturday night at the Kontiki again or at the team meeting again, mm-hmm. and then it's a win or lose. So uh, normally. Um, when I'm with the team, you know, I'm involved in, in, in everything to, up until the warm-up. Uh, so, yeah, that's a massive difference. I think um last one for me is just basically what, and for both of you, what do you want people to take out of this book? Uh, I want uh, them to look at Russie's transformation story so that we can put to bed this whole notion that the man is a political animal. And... Um, and understand that it actually was a rugby process that won the day. Uh, and we don't need politics to guide us. We can actually look at proper processes that work uh, to guide us to success, if that could be the overriding thing. But they're also very funny stories um, that are in the book as well, and wonderful insights into things we know so well. The Rugby World Cup, the British and Irish Lions, Rassi is a player. Wonderful insights into every facet of his life and then some deeply personal stuff about his upbringing as well but for me it's how did he get transformation right how did he create a team that is now supported by almost all South Africans how did he get that right that's what I hope people take away yeah I know we never attended a lot about that for me that's one of the things uh, and certainly one of the important things 
But for me, it's, it's listen, man, you can be a, okay, from dispatch, or you can be a guy from Kruijfontein, or you can be from Zwede, or you can never open a laptop in your life, or uh, they, we can find a way to work together and be successful because we respect each other, we trust each other, and if you get the right people in the room and everybody, whilst making mistakes, while whilst losing, while, uh, you know, we, 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 that's for me the whole hope part. The whole hope part is if you, if you, if I don't backstab you or talk shit behind your back or, you know, if you don't wonder what is my intentions, uh, um, uh, trust develops. And the moment trust develops, you know, honesty is there. And the moment honesty is there, then win or lose, you'll get better and better. And and uh, and not saying at all, there wasn't a shitload of mistakes that I made and still make. But I, I hope they take out that you don't have to be the sophisticated guy with 10 degrees, which I admire and brave and fantastic. You can be... A normal guy with normal problems and mistakes and still make it work. And I think people underestimate their possibilities to help make something work in South Africa. Do you have anything? No, I have a question, but it's more, it's not for, I don't think it's for the pod. Uh, it, it links into what you were talking about then. But th- let me just, I can just say thanks guys for the, the chat just so that I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thanks, guys, for the chat, and uh, I hope the the book does very well. Well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you guys, and I'm a fan of the pod. So thank you. I'm glad that we could be. What was also quite clear is like we could we could easily have sat here for three pods. (laughs) Yeah, the time doesn't allow that. Yeah, Yeah, but thank you very much, guys. I think it's great, David. It's one so now. Yeah, cheers. 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 Don't tell them it's 11. We're recording this at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And a reminder, you can find all the To The Last Drop podcasts on the Brendan Nell YouTube channel, iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.